Welcome back to Current with Valerie Hayes on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we're spending some time talking about immigration, and I know that you're following this issue. It's sometimes challenging to keep up on all the factors and the topics and the issues involved and how they relate to the different proposals by the presidential candidates. So let's start by going over some of the basics about immigration, some terms and topics that are part of the discussion, so that when you're listening to the candidates talk about this on TV or reading their stuff on the Internet, on their web, Sites. By the way, all five remaining candidates have an immigration um, tab on their websites. So you can absolutely go to each candidate's website. Uh, most of it's, it's called an issues tab, and you can click on it, and you'll get a drop-down menu that shows the different issues, and immigration is, is always one of those issues. But let's start. I know you're going to be surprised by this, but our topic of immigration reform actually begins back in 1986 when Ronald Reagan was in office. So back in the 80s, we're all back to the 80s for a minute. And it was the Immigration Reform Act of 1986. And um, the, the Congress passed uh, this law, and President Reagan signed it, to deal with the approximately 4 million illegal immigrants who were in the country at that time. And um, they, they passed this law, and they, they tried to put processes in place to limit future illegal immigration um, by requiring employers to verify with paperwork and documentation that employees were, in fact, legal immigrants. And one of the words that is lingering us, uh, lingering with us today, that 1986 Immigration Reform Act, is the phrase amnesty. And this is one of the phrases that a lot of the uh, candidates will throw on, throw around, not about themselves, but about each other, of course. And let me explain what and amnesty is. Um, first of all, let me just give you the basics of the Immigration Reform Act of 1986. It legalized illegal immigrants who were living in the country at that time who had entered the country prior to January 1st of 1982. And so they had to have entered be- prior to 1982. They had to had resided here continuously. And here's the amnesty part. Here's the amnesty part. They could, without penalty of fine, back taxes, or any omission of guilt, just fill out their little paper. I arrived here before January 1st of 1982. I have lived here continuously since the time that I arrived. And the federal government said, okay, you are now a U.S. citizen and we're going to grant you amnesty. We're not going to prosecute you or make you pay a fine or back taxes or any type of special fee to become a citizen. So amnesty is kind of like if you accidentally throw a baseball through somebody's window and the Owners are really nice and say, no big deal. We'll pay to have it fixed. You don't need to take care of it. Just go on home. It's all good. So that's essentially what amnesty is. Unfortunately, aspects of the Immigration Reform Act of 1986 didn't work, especially some of the aspects of the the law that were supposed to prevent new immigrants from entering the country illegally. It was it was supposed we were supposed to seal the borders. We were supposed to put more stringent processes in place to prevent people from hiring illegal immigrants. Oftentimes, unfortunately, employers uh, like to hire illegal immigrants because they can pay them less. Sometimes they pay them under the table. And there are some 
um, specialty areas within our economy, such as agricultural workers, um, that don't have, didn't have a great guest worker program created. In other words, guest workers come in for a short period of time, um, pick the crops, process the crops, and go back to their home countries. But the big, the big phrase that you want to make sure you know, um, about the Immigration Reform Act of 1986 is amnesty, because none of the candidates want to be accused of having amnesty in their program because people are a little irritated that we gave amnesty, we gave essentially free citizenship to all these illegal immigrants in 1986 and nothing improved. And now we have, instead of 4 million illegal immigrants, we have approximately 12 million illegal immigrants. So let's talk about the word illegal immigrant. So originally, in most of the laws, it was referred to as an illegal alien. Of course, that doesn't mean you're from Mars. That just means you're from a different country. That's just a phrase that is used in legal paperwork. Um, there was a certain period of time when people felt that illegal alien was um, a bit harsh, and so it was changed to illegal immigrant. Now many immigration activists feel that illegal immigrant is... Um, not an appropriate word. So uh, two other phrases that people often use now when discussing illegal immigrants are undocumented immigrant, meaning I've immigrated to the United States, I just don't have any documentation to prove that I should be here, or an unauthorized immigrant, meaning I've come to the United States, but I'm not actually authorized to be here. So those are phrases that you might be hearing in conversations that you're hearing on the news or reading on the Internet. There's also the concept um, of visa tracking. Um, and uh, my guest, uh, Diego Goller, was talking about the fact that there are several ways to come initially to the United States. And one of the ways is to come on a tourist visa or uh, perhaps even a student visa. You're here for a specific set period of time. And uh, you come in and, and you're supposed to go out. About 40% of, uh, it's estimated that about 40% of illegal immigrants in the United States are here because they have overstayed their visa. Because we, unlike other countries, don't really have a very good way of tracking in and tracking out. Some countries, you know, kind of scan your pa- uh, passport, you know, the barcodes, the information on your passport. They store it into a database. Um, they keep track of the address and the location that you're supposed to be at while they're here. And then there's a trigger that says, and this visa was supposed to expire, for example, in June of 2016. And so there's a trigger that says this person is supposed to leave now. And then maybe in July, your name would pop up on a report if you hadn't left. So one of the things that you're going to be hearing about candidates talk about are this visa tracking in and out. There are several countries, uh, European countries, Israel does a great job of this, that you this and they find this to be very successful in making sure that immigrants don't overstay their original visa. Another term that you're going to be hearing about when you're looking on the websites or listening on the news is birthright citizenship. Birthright citizenship. This was established in the 14th Amendment, which was an amendment to the Constitution passed after the Civil War. You're like, what does the Civil War have to do with birthright citizenship? But what it established was that all um, after African-Americans who had been born in the United States 
but hadn't been considered citizens up to that point because of their African heritage or African heritage, that those people were all automatically citizens because they had actually been born in the United States. So it was a great amendment with a great intention to make sure that um, former slaves and uh, people who had been freed all had access to full rights and benefits of U.S. citizenship. The problem is that we now see some groups um, utilizing this concept to uh, create citizenship for their children if they are not a U.S. citizen, knowing that U.S. government officials are reluctant to deport a parent if their child is a U.S. citizen. One of the things that you might have been hearing about in the news recently on this topic is that there are several Asian kind of pregnancy tourist organizations where uh, Asians uh, living in China or uh, other parts of, of um, the East might be interested in having a child that is uh, a U.S. citizen. So they purchase one of these tourist packages. They come to the United States. The tourist company puts them up in an apartment or a condominium. They drive them to all their doctor's appointments. Um, they they make sure that you know everything's going well throughout the pregnancy, and then the child is actually born here in the United States, so the child is uh, a U.S. citizen. Sometimes then those mothers and families decide to stay in the United States and try to use the fact that they're U.S their child is a U.S. citizen. Some of them return home, uh, back to their home country, and then try to come back to the United States with that child when they're in high school or college and try to take advantage of some um, tuition assistance for, uh, you know, U.S. citizens, uh, the child, who are low income. The child wouldn't be making any money. The parent is not a U.S. citizen. So it gets a little bit complicated. We now see groups and organizations kind of using that birthright citizenship um, kind of to their advantage. They're kind of gaming the system. And that's another thing. Um, two of the Republican candidates uh, are calling for an end to birthright citizenship. Another phrase that you might hear in conjunction with birthright citizenship is the term anchor babies. This is the concept that you, you come into the United States, you cross one of the borders into the United States, uh, you know, in the last week or two of your pregnancy, your child is actually born here. And because that child is a U.S. citizen, that that actually anchors you to the United States. This is a phrase that many people, uh, many people within the immigration community and immigration activists feel that the term anchor baby is not appropriate. So I encourage you, uh, you know, when you're discussing this with other people, um, really to try to stick to the phrase birthright citizenship, which really addresses the same issue. Another term that you might be hearing about is the term sanctuary city. And this is a complicated topic that at first sounds very, very simpler, but simple, but when you think about it, it's much more complex. Some cities throughout the United States have a high immigrant population, and they also have a high illegal immigrant population. And the challenge for police enforcement when you have a high illegal immigrant population is if something illegal happens in a neighborhood or area of town that is predominantly illegal immigrants, those individuals are less likely to call the police and report the crime or or call 911 to report an accident um, or, you know, get medical assistance because they know if they call that they're going to be asked 
asked, are you a U.S. citizen? Show me your driver's license. Where is your paperwork? And so they know that by reaching out to law enforcement, um, that they may be putting themselves at risk at being deported. So many cities around the country who have a high illegal immigrant population have created what's called sanctuary cities, where if someone contacts the police to report an accident or a crime, perhaps someone has broken into their home and stolen things, um, that when that individual contacts the police, that the police have a policy of not asking them for their identification or immigration uh, paperwork, that they just take the information about the crime and they saw and they try to solve the crime. And and the concept of these cities is that by by not by by reaching out to help the victim, um, that they're going to encourage victims of crime to report the victims because they know that they're not going to get deported or arrested because they're here illegally. So I kind of see how that makes sense. I'm like, okay, I get that. The problem with some of these sanctuary cities is that uh, so a crime is reported, they arrest the individual, right? So they've arrested the individual. Um, the individual is booked for the crime. Again, maybe it's theft of a home. And um, then they're out on bail or out on bond. Um, and instead of uh, if that person is here illegally, right, instead of then referring them to ICE for detention or referring them to the immigration department, they just release them back into the community. And this is where we get that tension uh, of what you hear about between um, illegal immigrants who are getting released to communities and then committing crime. Uh, I think you all heard about the the woman, I think it was about a year and a half ago, Kate, who was shot to death by an illegal immigrant in San Francisco while she was walking on um, the pier with her dad. And there have been other very, very similar incidents. So you can see that the sanctuary city issue is a conflicting issue. The police enforcement and law enforcement are trying to make safe communities because they do have large communities of illegal immigrants. But the federal government and others are trying to enforce the immigration laws so that if we do have illegal immigrants who are here who are committing violent crimes, that they are being put in jail and actually deported so that they can't continue to commit those crimes. Another issue that came up in the or was a goal of the 1986 Immigration Reform Act was verifying employment for illegal immigrants. Um, I remember I was actually working in human resources at the time when we had to learn this whole new process to check employees' paper paperwork to document that they had the correct paperwork that verified that they were a U.S. citizen. The problem, as I'm sure you can guess, is that sometimes paperwork uh, can be bought and you can, and there's counterfeit paperwork. You can get a counterfeit driver's license, uh, social security card, uh, birth certificate. All of these things are unfortunately available. And so now the government is, um, you're going to hear a lot on, uh, from the candidates. They're talking about E-Verify. E-Verify would be a system them, where everyone would maybe have some kind of like ID number, very similar to your social security number, that would be put into a central database, and then the employer could access that information to verify whether or not you were actually a legal residence with your green card, or if you were a citizen um, able to work here. So that's another thing. The last thing that you're going to hear about is pathway to legalization or pathway to citizenship, and the way to keep those different in your heads because some candidates are saying pathway to legalization, 
Some are saying citizenship. Pathway to legalization is just like Diego talked about in our interview, where they are legal residents. They can work here and live here, but they cannot vote. Um, and a pathway to citizenship means that they live here, work here, and have all the rights and abilities of a citizen, including those to vote. I know that's a lot, but that's it for today's episode. Remember, if you want to suggest something for a future episode, just click on the link right here on the show page for my Facebook page and leave me a comment. Who knows, we might just include your topic in a future episode because we want to make sure you have the information you need to feel informed. Because after all, it's okay to have your own opinion as long as it's an informed opinion. Hi, this is Valerie Hayes, and I want to let you in on a secret. I've just created the perfect do-it-yourself coaching resource to help you learn how to improve your own pageant interview skills. My Mastering the Pageant Interview DIY coaching resource includes three downloadable audio files plus transcripts for easy resource. You'll learn how to spot and handle trick questions, the correct length of an interview answer, three tips for closing an answer when you're struggling, my easy technique for answering controversial questions, two secrets for a winning onstage interview, plus much, much more. Just download the audio files and transcripts to your computer and listen when you're working out, doing something around the house, or really just about any time. What could be more convenient? To get your copy of Mastering the Pageant Interview, just visit my website at ValerieHayes.com and click on the Winning Interview tab to order yours today. It really is that simple to quickly learn tips and techniques that will help create your winning interview. Have you seen the brand new line of pageant, prom, wedding, and elegant evening jewelry by couture designer Stephanie Summers? Her custom couture line established Stephanie as the leading pageant jewelry designer, and now she's created a budget-friendly jewelry line so that anyone can look amazing in one of her designs. Shop-StephanieSummers.com has your style in the perfect color you're looking for. So visit Shop-StephanieSummers.com today and enjoy knowing that even though you stayed on budget, you look like a million. Are you totally stressed out about tough current events questions for your next pageant? Well, I've got a solution for your current events nightmare. Everyone feels overwhelmed by the time it takes to keep up on current events. But I've solved that for you with my weekly current events update. You'll get an email each week summarizing the top stories, plus you'll get sample questions to practice on your own. So visit my website at ValerieHayes.com, and you'll be ready to rock those current event questions at your next pageant. Are you a pageant contestant in Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, or Oklahoma? If so, Van Brosen Associates can help make your pageant dreams a reality. Van Brosen Associates are the producers of Miss USA and Miss Teen USA state pageants in the five states of Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. To find out more, go to vanbrose.com and connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash vanbrose. Once again, that's vanbrose.com. V-A-N-B-R-O-S dot com. Are you ready to be Miss USA? 